0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 27. It's page 705, 705, if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, 705. Matthew chapter 27, we're going to be looking at verses 45 to 50. Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 45. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. Now, let me mention that this is by Jewish time. And Jewish people begin the clock at six o'clock in the morning. So, this would be from 12 noon until three o'clock in the afternoon. So, from 12 noon till three in the afternoon, darkness covered all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran, got a sponge, filled it with wine, vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, look at these words that our Lord spoke from the cross, I pray that uh, you'll help us to grasp the significance of this moment, the most powerful moment really, of Christ on the cross and understand the significance in our own personal lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. In the uh, days following 9 11, stories began surfacing. For example, one father whose son was uh, a, a first responder and was, was killed when the towers collapsed. He said, I can no longer talk to God. Now, I think of myself as a good Christian, but I now have a different view of God because where is God in this? One woman whose husband died in the attacks. He was working in one of the towers. She said, I can no longer bring myself to speak to God because I feel abandoned abandoned by God perhaps you feel God has abandoned you at one time or another in your life perhaps you were uh, the victim of an injustice and you're asking where is God in this why would God let this happen or perhaps you prayed and prayed for healing to come to a loved one but the healing never came and you're asking where is God in this And you feel God abandoned you. You feel forsaken by God. And by the way, if you've ever felt that way, you're actually in some pretty good company. C.S. Lewis, one of the most respected authors and Christian leaders of the 20th century, C.S. Lewis' wife was diagnosed with cancer. And they prayed and prayed, believing that God would bring the healing but it never came. And in his book, A Grief Observed, C.S. Lewis writes this Why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity, but so very absent in our times of trouble? So I wonder how can I be certain that God hasn't given up on me? How could I be sure? that I have not been abandoned by God. I mean, what, what can we point to that assures us that God loves us and will always love us, that God cares for us and will always care for us? What can we point to that says to us, God has not given up on us and we have not been forsaken by God? If you feel that God has given up on you or you feel God has abandoned you, God has a word for you today, a word of comfort and a word of assurance. You know, this morning we're going to continue to study the seven, the seven things that Jesus spoke from the cross. Remember the first thing Jesus did, the first words, he prayed for his enemies. He prayed, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. You know, in some ways, we, we, almost, we almost would expect him to do that. I mean, isn't that what Jesus taught us to do, to pray for our enemies? Jesus said, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus was simply living out what he taught. And then the second thing Jesus said from the cross, he looks over at the thief the repentant thief, and he assures him of his home in heaven. He says, I tell you the truth, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And again, that is kind of expected in that Jesus said that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. And the third statement we looked at last Sunday. Remember, Jesus looks down at his mother, and he says to his mother, behold your son. And he's talking about John. He's making certain that his mother is taken care of after he's gone. But again, we we might expect that because Jesus always obeyed Scripture. And Scripture says, honor your father and your mother. But I must tell you, when we come to this fourth statement... The fourth thing that Jesus says from the cross, never in a million years would we have ever expected to hear these words from the lips of Jesus Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, those are some powerful, powerful emotional words. And it makes us wonder, are we ever in danger that God might forsake us? Are we ever in a position where God might give up on us? This morning what I'd like to do, we're going to do two things. We're going to first of all look at the question, the wonder of this question we sometimes ask. It is now noon, 12 o'clock, and suddenly... There is a darkness that blankets the earth. A darkness so thick that you could feel it. And suddenly out of the darkness, the voice of the Lord can be heard. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we're stunned by that. I'll tell you one reason it is so stunning, so striking, is that Jesus never, referred to God in this matter. He never referred to God. All through Jesus' life, he always referred to God as his father. I mean, go back to when Jesus, he was 12 years old. His parents get a little miscommunication among them. Mary thinks he's with Joseph. Joseph thinks he's with Mary. Anyway, they leave him behind in Jerusalem. When they finally come back and find him, he's in the temple courts talking to all the religious leaders. And do you remember what he said to his mom and dad when they kind of scolded him about this? He said, don't you know, I must be about my father's business. All through his life, every time Jesus prayed, he prayed, Father, In the Garden of Eden, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. He even taught his disciples, how do you pray? Our Father who art in heaven. Even here on the cross, by the way, the first thing Jesus says from the cross is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the last thing, we'll see in a couple of weeks, the last thing Jesus says from the cross is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But right here at the middle, the middle statement, you got three before it, three after, the middle, right here in the center of the crucifixion, Jesus utters these incredible words, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? In this moment, a fundamental change is taking place in the relationship between the Father and the Son. There is a break in their relationship. A break in their fellowship. Now we need to make certain that we keep our theology intact here. And understand this according to the Trinity. At no point, no point are the Son, as God the Father and God the Son, are they ever separated in their essence or in their being. One God, always one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But at this moment in time, there is a break in their fellowship. And never before had there been a break like this. And in this moment, Jesus voices from the cross those incredible words my god my god why have you forsaken me the other thing i want to point make sure we're all clear on by the way when jesus voices these words he is not he is not voicing he is not shouting and crying out in some search for an answer like oh god oh god why he knows why this is happening. Quite the contrary, when he says, he says, my God, my God. And by the way, Jesus on numerous occasions addressed people with that double address. There was a time when he was at, in the home of uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And uh, Mary, Martha felt Mary wasn't doing her share of providing hospitality for Jesus. And Martha comes out and she scolds Mary and Jesus. And remember what Jesus says? He says, Martha, Martha, you're so worried about all these small things. And then there was a time when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem with the disciples and Peter is bragging about how loyal he is to Jesus. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has, has wanted to sift you like wheat, but I am praying for you. In other words, when Jesus would make that double address like that, he's, he is expressing confidence and assurance. It's all going to be okay. So let's make certain we all understand. This is not some kind of a cry that he has no idea what's going on. Not at all. When Jesus lifts his eyes towards heaven and he prays, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is speaking with confidence. He knows the answer. He simply wants us to know the answer. He wants us to investigate and find out what is the answer to the question. But I must say, think about this. God forsaking God? How do you explain this? And Jesus wants us to investigate what is going on. And so that leads us to the second thing we're going to look at this morning. The second thing is the wonder of the answer that God always gives us. Now, as Jesus is on the cross in the darkness, there are people who are close by. And not one person in that crowd, or at least none that we know of, really knows why, really why Christ is on that cross, nor do they know the answer to the question, why has the Father forsaken the Son? Now, there are some who try to explain what's going on. One man who's there, he says, well, he's calling on Elijah. And then someone else says, well, let's, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. They're, they are so far off track. Those in the crowd that they have no clue why he's really on the cross, nor do they have an idea what the answer is to the question. The Pharisees are there, the priests are there, the people are there. They have no concept of what really is taking place. But they should have known. They should have known the answer to why has the Father forsaken the Son? And the answer is in the word of God. When Jesus voices this from the cross, he voices these words, he is quoting from Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know, and by the way, if you've ever read Psalm 22, it is a graphic description Of crucifixion. For example in verse number 16. They pierced my hands and feet. Psalm 22. Psalm 22 verse 18. They cast lots for my garments. That psalm was written a thousand years. Before Christ was ever born. And Jesus is now quoting from that psalm. He's pointing them to that psalm. And had they read it. Had they investigated that psalm, they would have realized this is the Son Son of God. This is our Savior. This is the Messiah. He is fulfilling the prophecies that David gave a thousand years ago. We have crucified the Son of God. In fact, in the last verse of that psalm, David writes that God is doing a work of righteousness. Righteousness. That Christ's death on the cross was a work of righteousness that only he could do. And it is a righteousness that comes by faith. And what I marvel at is that the people there at the cross who are standing there, they hear this. They hear Jesus quoting from Psalm 22. And they don't get it. They just don't see it. But I'll tell you something just as um, remarkable People today, people in Dallas, Mesquite, Garland, all the suburbs around us. I marvel that we have so many, we have Christian radio stations, Christian television stations, Christian bookstores, thousands of Christians out sharing the gospel, churches on every corner, and yet look at the people who have no idea, nor are they even interested In what Christ has done? The answer is right there in the Word of God. Christ has come to die on the cross that He might, through that, bring righteousness. Notice the answer is also in the purpose of God. As Jesus hangs nailed to the cross, He is bearing my sins and your sins. He he is taking upon Himself. The sin of every person that has ever been born. From Adam and Eve, their sin. Cain's sin of murder. David's sin of adultery. Solomon's sin of idolatry. Our sin, my sin. He has taken every sin that you and I have ever committed. Every sin that every person has ever committed. And it is all poured on him at this minute. minute. And this is why the father has forsaken the son. He is the vilest of all sinners who has ever lived. And Jesus is now the greatest of all sinners. You see, either Jesus bears our sins or we bear them ourselves. Either Jesus takes our punishment or we have to take it ourselves. And fortunately for us, he bore our sins. Paul put it this way. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I think it's only appropriate that darkness shroud the earth at this time so that the eyes of mankind are veiled to Christ. And what was really taking place at that moment as every sin is poured down on him. You know, the judgment that Christ suffered that morning, that day, it, it, it ought to remind us that sin is not some trivial thing. And just because everybody else does it, doesn't make it trivial, doesn't make it right. All of our sins were poured out on him, and he bore them. I think the next time we think about sin we ought, to, we ought to remember the price that Jesus paid for our sin. So the answer why has God the Father forsaken him? Number one is right there in scripture verse Psalm 22. He is bringing righteousness to man. It's found in the purpose of God. God has heaped all of our sins upon Christ but it's also found in the attributes of God. You see God is a just God. He is a righteous God. And because of that, sin must be judged. You know, sometimes people say, why can't God just forgive us? Just forgive us. Why does Jesus need to die on a cross? Well, because sin has to be paid for. If God God just simply forgave us without any kind of a payment, that would not be just nor would it be right. Think of it this way. Let's suppose, let's suppose you have a, a 30-year-old son and uh, he's driving down the road one day and he sees a motorist with a flat tire stranded on the side of the road and he pulls over to help. And while he's helping, a 16-year-old kid blood alcohol three times the legal limit. He is racing down that street he plows through your son and five others, killing all of them. Six people killed at one time. He is arrested. He's put on trial. And he walks out of the courtroom a free man. 60. And let's, let's pretend this. Let's suppose the judge were to say, you know what? Let's all just forgive and forget like nothing ever happened. You know, if you were the parents, if you were family or friends of those who were killed that day, you would say to yourself, that is not right. It's not just. It's not fair. Because justice demands payment. In the same way, God is a just God. Sin has to be punished. And at the cross, sin is punished. So that's one attribute. God is a just God. But there's another attribute of God. God is a God of love. And at the cross, we see the love of God. God loves you. He loves me. In fact, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would never perish but have everlasting life. God is loving, but he's just. And that's the dilemma. You see the dilemma? God loves us, but he also has to be just. We're sinners. We have to be punished. At the cross, love and justice come together. At the cross, the penalty of sin is paid for justice. At the cross, Jesus makes that payment, and that's love. God had a choice. God had a choice. He could either pay our sin debt himself or he could make us pay for it. And fortunately, he chose the former. Think of it this way a, a judge is on his, on his bench, and there's a young man standing down in front of him, and he's guilty of speeding. And the judge hands down the sentence $200 fine. But the young man doesn't have $200. So the judge takes off his robe. He comes down, takes out his wallet, takes $200, and he pays the fine himself. That's what God did. He was on his throne in heaven. He set aside his glory, came to this earth, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, went to the cross, and there he paid for my sins and yours is. God made the payment that he demanded, and there was no other way. There's no other way to resolve our problem. God must either inflict righteous punishment on us, or he must bear it himself. Charles Wesley wrote that wonderful hymn, and we sang it this morning. The chorus goes like this, amazing love, And can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? So what are we learning about this? What do we learn? Here's what we've learned. Christ was forsaken that we might be forgiven. Christ was forsaken that we might never be forsaken. Christ suffered our hell that we might enjoy his heaven. Christ suffered darkness that we might walk in light. Christ suffered loneliness that we might have fellowship. Christ suffered the curse of sin that we might enjoy the blessings of salvation. Christ was abandoned that we might have communion. And you know the irony in all this? The irony is we deserve to be deserted. We deserve to be forsaken. We deserve to be abandoned. But Jesus reaches down and saves us. You know, Jesus, I love this. Jesus is the only Savior who satisfies us when we follow him, but he forgives us when we fail him. Are we ever in danger of being forsaken by God? Is there any possibility, even remotely, that God would, 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 um, would, he, he would give up on us? Not on your life. Jesus was forsaken That we might be forgiven. That's what I want us to take home with us today. Jesus Christ was forsaken that we might be forgiven. You know, someone in an email writes this. My friend tells me that God never gives up on anyone. But I don't believe it. I promised God a hundred times I would do better, but then i just goof up and go back to my old ways. God has to have given up on me because I would have given up on me if I were God. You know, the good news is God's not like us, for one. God is the Savior. He is, God is the Savior who when we follow him, we are satisfied, but when we fail him, he forgives us, and he forgives us. And he forgives us. You say Scott. I know that Jesus promised. I will never leave you. Or forsake you. But when I prayed. And I prayed. And I prayed. And the prayer was never answered. I felt forsaken by God. I felt abandoned by God. Where was God? When I prayed. And I prayed. And I prayed. I will tell you this. We must separate feelings from fact. And the fact is. The Lord made a promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. And by the way, you know that word forsake? It's in Hebrews 13, 5. Same word that Jesus speaks from the cross in our text. What I would do is I would write Hebrews 13, 5 right down next to Matthew 27. Write it in there. Jesus says, you will never experience what I experienced. And his promise is, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You say, but God, God, listen, when I went through the worst experience of my life, I went through a grave injustice. I went through the worst thing I could ever happen. And yet, I'll tell you, I felt abandoned by God. I felt forsaken by God. Where was God in that? Separate feelings from fact. Jesus will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. You know, we all go through storms in life. Sometimes Jesus is right there in the boat with us. And at the right time, he will calm the storm. Sometimes when we're in a storm, he comes to us walking on the water. But either way, he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. That is his promise. We will never experience what Jesus experienced because he was forsaken so that we could be forgiven and never be forsaken but I will tell you this I am I know this I've been talking to Christians this morning and we had that promise as believers but if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ if you've never come to faith in him you can't really claim that promise You need to come to Jesus today and put your trust in him because when you do, you can begin to claim that promise. He will never leave you or forsake you. Come to the Lord today and trust him as your Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here today giving thanks that our Savior, Jesus Christ, was forsaken that we might never be forsaken. And I pray, Father, that all of us will begin to take to heart what it means to have you with us in every circumstance in life. And Father, if there's someone here today who's never put their trust in Christ, oh, may this be the day that they come under your love and care, and they will never be abandoned, forsaken, or alone. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen.